Hi. So today we come to the last in our series from 1 John, Life with Jesus. And the title of today's talk is called Worship God. And I'm going to read some verses from the end of 1 John chapter 5. And uh, this is what they say in the Christian Standard Bible. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one, that is, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Last words are hugely impacting. In my own life, I remember a good friend of mine who died. His last words to me have lived with me uh, over the last uh, 15 or so years. I was talking to someone recently who was facing major surgery and they wanted to uh, leave some videos for their loved ones telling them how much they loved them uh, just in case they didn't make it through the operation. Uh, I know of uh, a lady who died recently uh, in another church that I was part of and uh, some years ago she took in a teenager whose parents had abandoned them and she took them in and cared for them and her last words to them were so important. Last words are significant. If that's the case, how much more important are John's last words? These are possibly even the last words written chronologically in the Bible. And so John's words are significant to us. They are the last words of Jesus' last living disciple, and we need to hear what he says. Let's listen to those words again. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Is that it? Is that what John says right at the end? Isn't there any more than that? Isn't there a final greeting? It sounds a bit like John's got distracted as he's writing his letter and forgets to finish it off. Nothing could be further from the truth. John wants us to grasp something important. During the 1500 years or so that the Bible was written by multiple different authors, people worshipped all sorts of gods with a small g. Every people group had its own gods. The god of war was Mars to the Romans. To the Greeks it was Ares. To the Scandinavians it was Thor. In each culture people used natural objects or images made of stone, wood or metal to represent those gods as a focus for their worship. Right from the beginning the only true God makes his feelings clear. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Don't bow down and worship them and don't serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The fact that we'd rather worship created things, things made in out of our own imagination, rather than the creator himself, is an outrage in heaven. John is underlining the message of the whole Bible. 
in that the living God rightly demands that we worship him alone. Before we go any further, we need to settle that what John says here at the end of his letter is relevant to us in 21st century Winchester. Yes, it is. Some things don't change. John's punchline is more relevant now than ever. We're not as advanced as we think we are. All of us uh, worship, we give our adoration to some things or people, even if we don't worship statues or icons. I remember uh, my son and I were in America uh, many years ago. He was a, a little boy and uh, it was hot. We were sitting down and he had his Southampton uh, cap on. We support Southampton, the Saints. And as we were sitting there in the shade, he had his hat on. Uh, some big bloke, burly bloke came up to us and stood in front of us and went, right. And then he pulled up his sleeve to show a Saints uh, a badge. He wanted to show us that we worshipped the same God. We were both, all Southampton fans, we were worshippers at St. Mary's. And he said something else, innocuous, and went, come on, you saints, and, and went off. And that was it. It was a strange little moment. But we all worship something. The reason God is angry at us worshipping idols is obvious. God breathed life into us. He created us. He formed us. He, of all that God created, human beings have a unique, were created to have a unique relationship with the living God. He made us in his image. We are created by him and for him. And it's only through relationship with him can we find true fulfilment. Only in a relationship with God is our need for value, love, significance and purpose truly met. You see, the big story of the Bible is that each one of us has sought independence from God. The human race has sought to live without reference to the God who made us. And our independence is seen as we try to fill the place, the part of our lives that can only be fulfilled by a relationship with God, with other stuff, with other things, with uh, other people, relationships with other people. We look to satisfy our need for love, acceptance and value in other ways. In doing this, we put idols in the place in our hearts reserved for God alone. Sadly, they can never satisfy, they can never fulfil and they leave us broken and empty. They deceive us into thinking that all is well. We fall for what Tim Keller calls worshipping counterfeit gods. We all have idols. Just think about the things that consume our thinking when uh, we're not doing anything. Those are the things that consume our hearts. What do we spend our money on? What consumes our spending? What is it that fills our desires and our motives? 
Where do we get our sense of value, our sense of love, of acceptance from? Is it our popularity? Is it the number of clicks or likes we get on our our social media accounts? Is it in our job achievements? Is it in our intellect? Whether we've got a degree or a PhD even. Is it in our possessions, what we own and what we have? Is it in our relationships with other people? Our deepest needs can't be met by these things. These things are here today and gone tomorrow. Relationships that we think satisfy uh, ultimately leave us broken because they never last. They can never ultimately satisfy our deepest need. The writer of Ecclesiastes sums this up when he says this. Anything I wanted I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work. But as I looked at everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. John didn't sign off his letter with niceties. Probably because his letter was written to a multitude of churches that he had connections with. What he had to say was and still is relevant today. It's relevant to every follower of Jesus. John tells us that there's something we must do. I want you to listen to what it says in the New Living Translation in verse 21. Keep away from anything that might take God's place in our heart. Ezekiel in the Old Testament says that we set up idols in our hearts. In the Bible, the heart is the very centre of our being, the real us. It's uh, the centre of our heart, our, our mind, emotions and our wills. It's Jesus who said that uh, in order for us to fully live for God, we need to love him with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength. What Jesus is saying is that God must be on the throne of our heart. If he sent a stage, we will love him uh, as he ought to be loved, but we will love others as ourselves and respond like Jesus did when others cruelly mistreated him, when they lied about him, when they tried to control him. The state of our hearts is seen in the way that we react. So what happens when someone publicly disagrees with us? Uh, Do we get internally angry and have to put them right? Do we find ourselves feeling low when uh, uh, people don't seem to like the things that we're doing on social media? How do we react if a teacher says that our child isn't as bright as we know they are? Do we sulk when our boyfriend or girlfriend says, no, I don't want to do that. Are we overly defensive when the boss says that our work recently hasn't been up to standard? Or what if someone says 
that our preach last Sunday wasn't as good as previously. Ouch. We can make an idol of anything. Our country, our loved one, our children, our job, our looks, what we earn, our even our position and status. It was John Calvin, the 16th century uh, reformer, who said uh, our hearts, our minds are a perpetual idol factory. Our minds are a perpetual idol factory. The root of every idol is me. We ride roughshod over others, disregarding their feelings because our view is right. Our view is right. Rude and ungodly reactions are justifiable because they're criticising our child. It's okay to belittle and humiliate others if we're in charge. Idolatry is at the heart of selfishness, lust and greed. Idols can even be to do with our wrong thinking about church and even about God himself. And this is almost certainly what John is focusing on. His whole letter is tackling heretical teaching that was creeping into the church and undermining who Jesus was. Jesus was just a man, just like us. He wasn't God's son sent to save us. He was just a good teacher. God was with him, but in the end, he uh, was just a man who died on a cross. They were all trying to say in John's day that Jesus alone wasn't enough. We need more. Jesus plus In their case, it was special knowledge, plus special knowledge, uh, a revelation that they could give. In our day, it's Jesus plus trying harder, working harder. What we do, maybe about being baptised, Jesus plus baptism. No, 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 no. Jesus is enough. Baptism just shows that we are followers of Jesus. John is saying that anything that removes Jesus from centre stage in our hearts is an idol. And we need to say no to idols. Our responsibility is to say no to them. To keep ourselves from idols. And yet a few verses earlier, John seems to be saying it's it's God who keeps us safe. God will keep us safe. So is he saying that we need to keep ourselves from idols to give God a hand? No. God always does what he promises. And we receive God's promises by grace. Not through our efforts, we receive them by grace. Our response to this amazing grace of God is to walk in the light as he's in the light. That's what John has already told us. Grace teaches us to say no to idols and yes to God. John's already given us the key to this. It's something we must know. This is what he says in verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come. The remedy to idol worship is to know the truth. 
And Jesus has come and revealed the truth to us. John uses a Greek word that means we know as a matter of fact that the Son of God has come in the flesh. And John ends his letter just as he started it in chapter 1. He wants us to know that Jesus was a real person. And John was a first-hand witness that John heard what Jesus said. John heard Jesus say, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John heard him say that. That was the sort of thing that only God would say. John not only heard him, but he saw him with his eyes. But he saw not just the person who stood in front of Christ, but he saw the real Jesus. He saw him in all his humanity when he was tired and weary. He saw him as he cared for the broken and the needy and those less fortunate. John saw him as he uh, reached across uh, uh, to touch those that nobody else in society would touch. John saw the real Jesus. John saw Jesus die on a cross. He saw it with his own eyes. He saw the same Jesus who died come to life, saw him resurrected. He even touched him. John saw Jesus. He touched him. He knew him. John was absolutely certain that God's son came for us. And this is still vivid in John's memory 60 years on. What John knew transformed his life. He followed Jesus even when his contemporaries, his fellow disciples, were martyred uh, for their faith in Jesus. Even when John suffered imprisonment on the Isle of Patmos in a Roman uh, colony, Roman prison, John still followed Jesus. Because this truth mattered. What about us? In the coming weeks, we're going to be celebrating Christmas. It's the end of the most difficult year that most of us have ever lived through. What are we celebrating? Are we celebrating the eternal Son of God who came for us? Will Jesus be centre stage in our hearts this Christmas? John's plea is that we worship the real Jesus. He wants us to worship him, not the one being peddled by the world around us. Finally, John wants us to know that we worship someone we can know, we can have a relationship with. This is what it says. Let me remind you of what it says in the New Living Translation. He has given us understanding so that we can know the true God and now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. John has come so we can have a relationship, an ongoing knowledge, not just a one-off knowledge, an ongoing daily knowledge with the God who made us. If we put our trust in Jesus, we can now have God's life within us. 
And if you don't know God, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you can do that today by putting your trust in him, just asking him to come into your life. Say, I believe Jesus died for me, took my punishment, my sin on the cross. And here at the end of 1 John, we probably have the clearest declaration of who Jesus is in the whole Bible. Jesus Christ is the only true God and he is eternal life. Wow, he deserves our worship. Worshipping God is the only 100% effective vaccine to combat the insidious disease infiltrating the church. The antidote to idols is having Jesus daily enthroned in our hearts. Only then can we have fellowship with God as our Father. Only then can we bask in the love that God has lavished on us that we can be called children of God. And that is what we are. And as we do this, as we walk in the light as he's in the light, and as we obey his commands because we love him, and as we walk as Jesus did, we can love our fellow believers just as God has loved us. John's love for Jesus lasted 60 plus years, and he's still as passionate at the end about Jesus as he was at the beginning. What about us? Hudson Taylor, the 19th century missionary to China, spent more than 50 years serving God there. And after he died, they found a piece of paper tucked into his journal. And it was a daily journal that he would keep that would talk about his walk with God, his relationship with God. And this piece of paper, uh, he moved every day just to mark where he was in his journal. And on it were written some words. And this is what it said. Jesus Make yourself more real than any object and sweeter than any relationship. Hudson Taylor knew that every day Jesus needed to be more real to him than any object, anything that could take the place of Jesus in his heart. And Jesus needed to be sweeter to him than any human relationship could ever be. Hudson Taylor knew Jesus needed to be centre stage in his heart. Jesus himself said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and with all your strength and then love your neighbour as yourself. Let's finish and pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of this series, we want to thank you for your challenge to us to be people who know you, who can know you because of what Jesus has done. And we want to say thank you for Jesus. We want to thank you that you sent your son for us, that we now have life because Jesus died in our place on the cross and we can come into intimate relationship with you and know you as a father. We thank you for your grace to us. And we want to live out of this grace day by day. We want you 
to be enthroned in the praises of our heart. We want to love you with all our heart. Help us do that in these days and over this next season. In Jesus' name. Amen.